0: Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Good to see you this morning. Turning your Bibles to Acts two. We're going to be in Acts two this morning. Uh, before I get into my sermon, I've gotten a lot of emails this week uh, about um, you know just why, why I, we have not mentioned anything like an official statement from our church about the conflict in Israel. And um, you know, there's a one of the things I want you to understand is when things are happening in the world, or there's geopolitical issues, or there's um, you know, humanitarian issues or political issues. I-, I want you to know something. It's not that we are n- not afraid to say something, or that you know we feel like uh, we're going to remain silent. We do want to say something. But one of the things that we have decided to do as a church is to leave those comments and leave those conversations to our podcast. You know, we are a church that only meets once a week. And so one of the things that we want to make sure that we do, and again, this is just a conviction of ours, is we want to make sure that we may keep Sunday morning sacred about the Word of God. Because here's what we learned. I mean, obviously, all of us are appalled and, and are heartbroken over the tragedies that happened on, on October 7th. And we, we pray for the Jewish people in the, in the state of Israel uh, that, that God would protect them. Um, but one of the things I, I, I've learned over 25 years of ministry is, there, those situations require a lot more than just a 1 minute soundbite and they require a lot more conversation and usually when i we do say something what happens is people say well why didn't you say it this way or why did you say this and not that and again what that hap- when that happens we're distracting from the word of god and so that's why we reserve those those times to have those conversations Uh, to our podcast. And there's going to be a podcast episode coming out this week with Dan and I about the Israeli conflict and war. So please make sure that you listen. I believe it's either going to be released on Thursday of this week. So make sure that you uh, listen to that. But obviously, um, just to remind you, we reserve Sunday mornings primarily for the Word of God because we don't want anything else to get in the way of that. All right? Um, So we're in a series on gospel saturation two weeks ago we shared our new vision statement that every man woman and child in lake norman and beyond would have the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of jesus and and the reason why we shared that new vision statement is not because we did a you know demographic search and figured what would be uh, you know helpful to people what we learned is that from revelation chapter five this is what god wants not what we want. This is what God wants. And so we've got to align what, what God wants to what we want. And so we align our, our hearts and our minds, our vision, to God's vision. And we believe that when God looks at Lake Norman, he sees the 250,000 people and says, I want every single one of them to know my name. I want every single one of them to know about my love, to every single one of them to know who I am. Whether they reject him or not, that's that's between them and the Lord. But our responsibility is declare the, the name of Jesus to every man, woman, and child who lives in Lake Norman, and that's what we're taking that call seriously. And last week, we looked at our mission statement. To pursue at all costs a passionate God centered life. Because if we want every man, woman, and child to hear the gospel and to respond to the gospel, it's going to take every disciple of Jesus to live out their life, pursuing at all costs, a passionate, God-centered life. And so we looked at Romans 12 last week and we looked at, you know, the dedication and the transformation it's going to take in order for me- to make that happen. And so for the remaining four weeks of our series, we're going to go over the L I F E in our name. That's an acrostic that stands for how we define a disciple. So pursuing at all cost a passionate God-centered life. That word life is an L I F E and it stands for each idea, uh, another uh, description of a behavior, a value, a conviction of how we are to live out our faith. And so pursuing at all cost a passionate God-centered life is gonna look like these four things. And the first one for the letter L is living in community. We believe that living in community is one of the most important values that we can have as followers of Jesus. It is literally one of the most the things that, that will set should set us apart. The song we just sang, Jesus said in the upper room discourse with his disciples that people will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. And this idea of living in community, though it sounds really good and it's it, it's great that it matches up with the L, the reality is in our Time in our age that is extremely hard to do this. And so we have in this passage, Acts chapter 2, this call, this description of what living in community looks like. And just to kind of get, set the, the text in its context, uh, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's died on the cross, he's risen from the dead, and he has ascended into heaven. And he tells his disciples, I want you to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so they're sitting around waiting in Jerusalem for the helper to come, the Holy Spirit, as Jesus predicted. And as they are praying at the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover, the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them in a miraculous way, supernatural way. And, and they start speaking in other tongues, and all of a sudden, the people around them see what's happening, and they say, wow, what? Some people mock them, some people are attracted to them, but Peter gets up and he preaches the sermon, and he preaches about Jesus being the Lord and Savior of the world and how he died for their sins and how they are all sinners and they crucified the Lord and, and that they needed to repent and turn to Jesus for the, for the remission of their sins. And we saw thousands of people, 3,000 people that day, repented and turned to Jesus. And in light of the Holy Spirit coming, in light of all these these lives being changed, we see this description of this new church community. It went from 120 people to about 3,000 people in one day. And how are they going to live this out? Well, we see it here in the text. Let's read it in verse 42 of of Acts chapter 2. It says this, And they devoted themselves and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the, their number, day by day, those who are being saved. What we see here is the ideal picture of community. This is what living in community looks like. Now, now we know, no matter what experience you've had in your church, I'm, I'm letting you know, this is what the Word of God says, this is what it looks like. This is what this idea of, of common unity is supposed to be like. And so when we look at this, we have to measure up our experience with what we've seen here. And there's something, Is I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, it doesn't matter how many times I've read it, I look back in my sermon notes, I've kept track of my, all my sermon notes since 2011. I've preached on this text at least three or four times. And every single time, it's different notes. I, I mean, they're, you know, I've got different points and different notes. Same kind of idea, but every time I come back to this passage, there's something inside me that says, I want that. That's what I want to experience. And I think the question I want to ask you is, is this something that you long for? Because if we truly desire this, I I want to let you know something. You're not alone. I believe God has hardwired the desire for community inside of every single one of us. And the reason I know that is because if you go all the way back to the beginning of the book of the Bible... The very the second chapter when God is creating the world, He's creating everything. One of the things He says, the most, one of the most profound things he says is, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, up to that point, Jesus or God had been had creating everything. And every single day, at the end of every single day, what did he say? And God called it good. It's the Hebrew word for tov. So this idea of good, God is saying as he's creating everything, everything God created was good. Well, all of a sudden he creates man, and and at the end of creating just man, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. It is a new category. So God creates this new category of not good. Now, when I looked that up in the Hebrew, it's two words that are together, lo-tov, the negative particle, which means no or not, and then tov, which is the word good. And I looked at this up, I said, I wonder how many times... Lotov, not good, is used in in Scripture. And in the first five times, when it came to the narrative of Scripture, four out of the five times, it carries this idea of calling isolation and loneliness not good. I want you to see this. I'm going to have all these verses up on the screen for you. Um, The first one, the Lord God said, "...it is not good that man should be alone." I will make a helper fit for him. Noticing that God is saying he created us with this deep desire not to go through life alone. That we would not experience life apart from the fellowship. And the reason why God says this is because, think about this, God is a triune God, three persons in one. The, the, The picture of community that we have is the Godhead, the trinity, and so when he creates man by himself, he says, I understand, I know the desires I've put inside of man, I've created him to need and to want to, the, the belonging, the, the connection. In fact, one of, the, one of the things that every single person, every single human being that's ever lived, we all ask the same question, okay? Am I known and am I loved? Am I known and am I loved? That is at the root of all of our desires, and if, and if one of those, we can't answer that, then what happens is we, we feel like something's wrong inside of us. Well, look, look what else it says. The, the Moses' father-in-law said, what you are doing is not good. What was not good? He was leading alone. He had no other people around him helping him lead. And so he was up all day, you know, pronouncing judgments on the nation of Israel. And Jethro his father-in-law says, hey, you're leading alone. It's not good. It's low-tove. Uh, First Samuel 26, This what's Surrounding this passage is um, David's men have, have, you know, they had an opportunity to kill Saul. Why? Because Saul was alone. And Saul says to Abner, who's his military chief, he says, The thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over the Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water where was at his head. He's saying he, he you did not watch over him. He was isolated and alone, and therefore it left him open to attack. Not good, Lotov. I'm going to skip the second semi one because that's the one that it's the outlier. But Nehemiah chapter five verse nine. This is when the exiles are going back to to the promised land, and and there's there's all kinds of families going back. Some are wealthy, some are not. And these creditors are taking advantage of the poor people. They're giving them money for homes and for jobs. But what happens is these creditors are charging interest. And when the people can't pay back the interest, they're taking their children and them, the, these other, other people into slavery. What are they doing? They're disrupting community, they're isolating people from one another. And what does he call it? It's not good. And when I saw this, I realized, I mean, one of the things that all of us have to confront in our own hearts and minds is: Am I living my life in a way that is isolated from other people? I, I believe that one of the reasons why we have a, a massive mental health crisis in our, in our world today. There's a lot of reasons, but our rhythms and our patterns for our life is very isolated. Think about your day. You can wake up. In, you can wake up. You know. You know, in bed, get ready. Get in your car, open the garage door, leave your leave your car. You know, you dr- drive to work, be around people, but you're in your cubicle, or you're you know, you you can be around people and still not experience community. And then you're wasted, you're you're tired. You drive home and you ha- spend some time with friends and or spend some time with family, and then all of a sudden you go to bed. And if you do that over and over and over again, where is the human connection? And one of the things I I find so interesting is to see bunch of young people, when they're sitting together, you'll see eight of them sitting in a circle, and they're all on their devices. You ever see that? I'm not making fun of you young people. I'm, I know this is, that's your way of doing that. I know you're texting each other across the, you know, the circle from you. I get that. I know, okay? You're, you're texting each other about the old people in the room. I get that, okay? I understand what you're doing. But, but I, I, here's one of the things... As I, when you study, when you're going back to school studying human psychology again, the science of psychology will tell you what every human being needs is attunement. When you have people that, that have des, that have these um, problems in their life, a reactive attachment disorder (RAD), it's it's people that grow up in these um, you know orphanages and they don't get the eye to eye, the face to face, the skin to skin touch the attunement of another human being what happens is it 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 develop it changes their development and it changes their their psychology the way their brain works we were created to be connected we were created to be connected and so when when, when you go through life and you are just going through the patterns of your life and you're alone and you're isolated the reason why you're saying man there's this something's missing it's this this is what you're missing and so, and so so you know if i could summarize this statement here's the main idea i want to leave you with okay living in community living in community leads to transformation both inside and outside the church okay living in community leads to transformation because one of the things that we see in this passage is that jesus is changing these people in fact if i could give you a definition of community it's 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 jesus's people living out Jesus' ways together it's the people of Jesus living out the ways and the life of Jesus together. That's all community is. And so the, the main problems that we have are twofold. One is that we do not make the effort to seek community because we're so used to our rhythms of isolation. That's just what we, we're doing. And, and the second thing is this. we have a false, Sometimes some of us get a false sense of community. We have friends we have people that we're connected to, but it's not the kind of community that's in this passage. Therefore, it leaves us still wanting more. Or saying there's something just not, it's not enough. And so there, there's three components, or there's there's three points from, from Acts chapter two I want to talk about when it comes to community. We're gonna we're gonna look at the commitment to community, we're gonna look at the components of community, and then the consequences of community in this passage. But the first one is the commitment to a community. And it's right there in verse 42. It says this, and they devoted themselves. Now I'll just stop right there. Underline, circle, highlight that word devoted. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. That word devoted is a very unique word in the Greek. It literally comes from the Greek word to have endurance for something, to have the strength of endurance to get through something. Now, now here's something I want to ask you. So we've got this desire for community. We all long for human connection. So if we have this longing for human connection, why does the Word of God say, and they were devoted to this? And you know why? Because you and I both know there are times when we have tried to live in community and we get hurt. There are times we've put ourselves out there and our experience has been less than. You're like, well, Ben, I, I was at a church one time and, and this person hurt my feelings. You know, I joined, a, I joined a life group one time and someone said something mean to me. Are they rude to me? Are they said, Listen, can I just say this? I promise you this. If you, are, if you come to a church and attend a church long enough, you will be offended and you will be hurt. Because you know why? We're a bunch of stupid people in this room. And, and a lot of times we will say and do things we're like, uh... That wasn't the right thing to say. That wasn't the right thing to do. We are all sinners, and we all fail at many in many ways. But here's what I also know is this: If you don't learn to work through those issues, you don't get to the good stuff. You know, in, in marriage, what happens is you have two people, husband and wife, and they you know they have different values, different ideas of what's right and wrong, good, good and bad. and and two operating systems of how they think and you put them in the same house together, same room together, same bed together, and they're saying, make this work out. Remember God's, God's picture, two becoming one. And what happens is friction. Because you have an idea of how things should go, and your spouse has an idea of how things should go, and there's some, there's some butting of heads of how, who's going to win. What does this look like? Well, that's going to happen in every human relationship. Whenever you put two people together, at some point there's going to be a divergent road of what do we do? Do I do what you want or what I want? Or is there a third option? What does God want? And I think what we have to learn is, especially we see this in relationships, even in marriage, that when we work through the tension of marriage, that's where we get to oneness. So when it comes to being devoted, being committed to this idea of community, living in community, know right off the bat, it's going to be challenging you will, you will find yourself becoming disappointed with the people that you've come together with, and saying, "These people have let me down." Yes, we will all let each other down at times. We will all let each other down because we don't—we're not perfect yet. But what happens is when we work through the problems, what we've done is we've all learned, we've all grown, we've all—we've all been transformed by an experience that says, "Man, I learned something through that." I learned by us walking through this difficult circumstance together. We've learned how to walk together. And so this idea of, of um, you know, being devoted, it's the reality. We have to stay committed to it because it's too hard. It's going to be challenging knowing that there, we're going to have bumps in the road. You know, many years ago, many years ago, when I turned 30, which was about 17 years ago, feels like an age ago, when I turned 30, I remember thinking, oh, I'm so old, and I, I got to do something that's young, And so I signed up for this race. I, I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I signed up for this race. And it was a duathlon. I cannot swim. I, I can doggy paddle, but you know, I, I don't do well with water, OK? I try to make sure that my feet are always on the ground when I'm in water. And so I, I wasn't going to do a triathlon. I was going to do one of these, a duathlon. And a duathlon was a run bike run, And so it was a run five, run a 5K. Bike like 30 miles, run another 5K. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it, but I couldn't just show up to it, okay? I knew I had to put in some time to it, but I remember signing up for it saying, I turned 30, I'm gonna do this race. And when you sign up and you spend the money to sign up for this race, it's like, I'm in. I've got to do this. Now, you understand, I am not the workout warrior in, in my family. My wife is always the one that's always worked out. She's very athletic. And for, for her, working out, it's, it's fun. It's easy. When it's like, hey, you want to go running? I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't think so, right? And, and so working out has never been like one of those things I, I've looked forward to. Now, recently, I've, I've, I've changed that in my life. But for most of my life, I've been like, couch or run. Couch is going to win today. That's just, that's just how I've, I've thought, but when I signed up for this race, it was like I can't, I can't just show up I'm, go, I'm not going to succeed for my, my pride's sake I got to get out there and I remember there would be days I didn't want to run there'd be days I didn't want to cycle it was you know raining or it was cold or you know this truck almost took my head off when I'm on the bike like there, it was there were some parts to it that I'm saying it wasn't enjoyable, but at the end when I was able to do Go down to to Uptown Charlotte and do that race. Let me tell you something. There is a sense of, I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad I did this. But what got me through that process? It was a commitment. It was a devotion that says, I know this isn't going to be easy. I know there's going to be challenges. I know I'm not going to feel like it, but I need to do it. Let me just tell you something. I can't tell you how many times we used to host Life groups in our houses for years. And I can't tell you how many times I'd be like, I don't want to have people over. I don't want to do this thing. And every single time people would leave our house, I'd be like, oh, that was such a great night. I'm telling you, you know, there are these times inside of us where we feel like, I don't feel, I'd rather be in bed with my iPad streaming all night. That sounds fun. Right, But when you do that when, that, when that becomes what you're committed to, what you miss out on is this. You see, you can't just do whatever you feel like doing and get the good things out of life. You have to conform your heart, your life, your will, your desires to what Jesus expects. And there's an amazing payoff when we live this way. So we've, there, there has to be the commitment to the community if we're going to live out in community. That's number one. Number two, it's the components of community. Now, one of the things, the components of community is there's and, and Luke gives it to us right here. There's four components. This is this is what community looks like. Okay, four things: the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, verse forty-two. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. And the prayers. These are four components that are all that that Luke is saying. This is what biblical community looks like. Now, again, one of our barriers to community is that we have a false sense of community or, or a perversion of community. What I mean by that is you might have people that you love to get together with, you might have some really good friends, but are all four of these components present? Now I've got some friends that, um, you know, over the years in churches, I knew some people that would they take their RV every single Saturday drive or every weekend drive to their favorite football college football team and tailgate all day, watch the game. It's literally their worship service. Like that's just what they do, and they in that moment in that day they are having community. They're having a sense of community. There are some components out of these four things that are there, but there's a lot of things that are not there. And these four components, the reason why they are there is because this is who Jesus is. Remember what community is. It's Jesus' people living out the ways of Jesus together. And what these four components are, are the ways in which community is lived out. All right, So let's look at each of these four things in in, in succession. The first one is teaching. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, in verse 43 to the beginning of verse 47... What Luke does is he explains each of these four terms. There are some correlating verses below verse 42 that point back to him and say, what do you mean by that? Okay, so the correlating verse to the apostles' teaching is verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So the idea of Jesus' teaching with signs and wonders, what is going on there? Well, why would Luke put those together? The reason why Luke put those together is because that's exactly what Jesus did. When Jesus taught the word, He He rarely just ever taught and moved on. There was always teaching with the demonstration of miracles. And you can see this throughout the pattern of Jesus' life. Just read the books, books of uh, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke. You see Jesus teaching and then healing, usually together. They go hand in hand. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Because Jesus was doing more than just teaching a philosophy of life. He was doing more than just teaching a moral code. By the acts of supernatural healing, what Jesus was saying is, I've come to make everything new. I've come to reverse the curse of sin and death that is upon humanity. And I'm showing you that these words that I have have life and I'm demonstrating them by showing you the power over this physical realm. And so we always see Jesus doing that hand in hand, the teaching with the healings. Now, you might be asking, so what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us today? Well, let me just say that that some of us, sometimes when we read this verse, there are certain groups and tribes of Christianity that are like, woo, signs and wonders, yeah. I I love that verse, let's do it. And then there's some people like, like I grew up Baptist, okay? If we raised our hands during worship, maybe people were like, what? You know, kick them out, you know. We we're part of the frozen chosen. We did not move, okay? <laughs> and so there's a group of Christians I think that that sometimes can get, you know, outside the bounds of biblical. And again, there's a lot of interpretations of things that are happening in the Bible and Pentecostals and and and, and charismatics. Let me just say this. I I the only label I want is I'm a supernaturalist. You know what I mean by that? I believe that God is still able to do signs and wonders today. I believe God is able to heal today. I believe that God is able to do things that are beyond what is physically possible. Why? Because I believe we have a God that still wants to make all things new. Now, I, I cannot manipulate that. I can't manufacture that. I can't fake that, but I can pray for that. And what we have seen across the world is sometimes when when it's the most dark or where it's the most oppressive to Christianity is where you see the signs and wonders be more prominent. And and, and I think one of the things that as, as our world becomes more dark and more opposed to the ideas and the teachings of God's word, I think it will provide opportunities for us as the church to pray for greater miracles and the supernatural to take place. Again, I can't manufacture that but I can pray for it. And I think we need to be willing to be open to say, I'm not just interested in teaching you the right things. I wanna show you the power of Jesus. And so so this idea of teaching is Jesus' word and power. Don't be afraid, here's the point. Don't be afraid to preach the truth and don't be afraid of the supernatural because God's working through those things. Okay, That's, that's number one. Number two, the second component is fellowship. Look at verses 40, uh, 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds as any had need. That's correlating to this idea of the fellowship. Now that word, the fellowship, in verse 42, is the Greek word koinonia. It's the idea of, of life together, sharing things together. Most of the time, when we use the word fellowship, it means, hey, we, we got together and we had a potluck. Like the biblical idea of, of fellowship is there's radical sacrifice taking place. Now, when I read about this, a couple things. Number one, this is not Christian communism. It didn't say that they sold all their things and then, you know, pooled their resources and lived in a commune. That's not what it was talking about. What was going on is there were, when needs were arising within the community of Jesus, The people of Jesus said, I want to help meet that need. Now, why were were they so willing to do that? They were willing to do that because the sacrifice of Jesus hung over everything they did. Their, Their idea of Jesus, fully God, fully man, sinless, perfect, and him pouring out, giving to us, his righteousness, and him taking away our sinfulness on the cross, dying for our sins so that we might have life. This idea of exchanging, Paul uses the terminology that Christ became poor so that we could become rich. The sacrifice of Jesus influenced their worldview. And so when there were needs, material needs, What they did is they they said, well, spiritually, when I was spiritually destitute, Jesus gave me everything. And therefore, I'm going to display materially, physically, that when other people around me are in need, that the way of Jesus is great sacrifice. That's the way of Jesus. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we put boundaries around what we say, what we'll give away? They were selling their possessions. They were selling things and giving to the poor. Now, two things need to happen in order for this to be real in our day and age. Number one is we need to be willing to be so influenced by the, by the gospel of Jesus and the cross of Jesus that no amount of sacrifice is saying, uh, I'm not sure if I can do that. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of all. And we've got to be willing to sacrifice it all for Jesus. That's number one. Number two is this. I know this is very, it feels very un-American to do this, but we've got we've to be willing and humble to be vulnerable about what our needs are. The only reason this community was actually able to sell their things and give it to proceeds is that people are saying, here's a need I have. Here's a longing that I, this, I, I I'm not going to make it unless I get this. Listen, one of the things that we've got, if you want community to work, there's a difference between going to a Bible study and really finding community. You can go to a group where they're learning and studying the Bible, but if you never are vulnerable and say, this is who I am. This is what I'm going through, and I need help. Then what happens is you you miss out on receiving what God wants to give you. Most of us, remember those two questions, am I known and am I loved? And until until you are vulnerable with other people, they don't know you. We can't know about the needs. I can't tell you how many times has, I've experienced this both in this church and other churches I've been a part of. People will call us up like, well, we just got out of the hospital. I'm like, what? You were at the hospital? Yeah, I didn't want to bother you guys. Bother us, okay? This is what church is for, is that when you are in need and when you are hurting, that the church surrounds you and supports you. But we can't do that unless you're willing to to be open and communicate. And so the idea of fellowship, Jesus' sacrifice, this is something that requires both vulnerability and a willingness to sacrifice that only the gospel can give us the motivation to do. That's number two. Number three, breaking of bread. I've got to run through these things because I'm I'm running out of time. Breaking of bread. What does breaking bread mean? This is Jesus' kindness. One of the things that we see over and over and over again, the pattern of Jesus' life, is that Jesus ate with anyone and everyone. Now, why was that such a big deal? Because culturally, in those days, you did not eat with people that were not like you, that weren't part of your tribe, weren't part of your ethnicity, weren't part of your social strata or your religious strata. And Jesus ate with everyone. In the book of Luke, one of a great, a great like kind of sub-study to do in the, in the book of Luke is look at the six meals. Jesus ate meals with six different groups of people in the, in the gospel account of Luke. And every single time, there's this tension. Why? Because people are saying, Jesus, why are you eating with that person? Why are you giving your time, your energy, your focus to these people? Eating was, was, a, was a statement back then. You, you made a statement with about your identity. You made a statement with your values. You made your statement with, like, this is who I'm going to associate with through your meals. Meals were a profound statement of your identity. And what the, what the Jesus community is doing in Acts 2 is they're saying this. We're following Jesus' model. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your social strata. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter all these things that, that people, that humans use to divide what we're going to do is we're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm going to sit with anyone and everyone. I mean, do you, do you remember middle school? You know, the, the the. I remember in middle school it was like you had to find your tribe in the lunch hour to sit with. And it was really to make sure that you were welcomed and embraced. And you, there's all these different groups of people, the nerds, the dorks, you know, the, the athletes, the cool kids. And, and, and you try to find your like kind of subgroup that you can, every single day when I show up to lunch, I can go to that table and I can be safe. And, and we still do the same thing today. We still are separating ourselves and are, I will sit and be with my tribe. That's not the way of Jesus. You know, Something that I, I would love to challenge I don't know who's going to take this challenge up, but I'm just throwing it out there, okay? Here's a challenge for you. I I grew up in a church. I know it was a smaller church. My dad was a pastor growing up. But I remember going over to people's houses and having people over almost every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, people would be like, hey, let's go out to lunch or come over to my house. And it's something that we've lost in our culture. We've lost this in our culture. Even think about how we design our houses we are isolating more and more and more. My brother-in-law lives in, in, um, uh, uh, outside of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and he's this little tiny suburb of Lancaster. It's like the Shire. I mean, it's just like no, no evil ever comes in there, okay? And it's these, the, he lives in this street where there's these row, of, uh, house, row houses, and they all ha- they're all built about 120, 130 years ago. And every single one of these houses has a porch, Front front porch that is massive. They're massive. And, and going there, it's just like, it's crazy when you see how big these front porches are. Why would they do that? Because back in those days, when people would work all day, they'd come home, they'd eat, and they'd all go sit out on the front porch and talk to their neighbors. Neighbor over here, neighbor over here, people across the street. This is before televisions. This was before screens and technology. There's just like, they, they learned how to connect. Now what do we do? Where are our porches now? Backyard, fenced hedges. Don't see me. Don't talk to me. Right? And the front. What does the front of our house look like? Here's a four by four foot plat of concrete. You right? So, so, what what have we done? What we are saying with our way of life is, I'm not interested. Yet, as much as we are saying this with our lives, what we're really craving is, I long for connection. I long for connection. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are the things we've got to do? Again, going back to the commitment, to disrupt the patterns and the rhythms of our life so that this is what we're doing. You know, Maybe it's going to require some of us to say, you know what? Once a month, I'm going to look for a family in the lobby. I'm going to take them out to lunch. I'm going to invite some people over. We're just going to do that one time a month. See how it changes your connection to this church. See how it changes your connection, your relationships to other people. It will transform you. it's It's so needed. So that's number three, breaking bread. Number four, prayers. This is Jesus' authority and abiding. Look what it says in verse forty seven, praising God and having favor with all the people. One of the things that that we see Jesus do over and over again is praying, praying all the time, praying to his Father, praying with the disciples, teaching them how to pray. Prayer was one of these essential components to community. And, and there's a reason for this. I mean, all it takes, I, I promise you this, if you were to start praying with another person, just meet with another person to pray, what's going on in your life? Again, vulnerability. What's go, you know, sharing the needs and the requests. When you pray with other people, it builds a connection. It deepens our commitment to one another in ways that, that nothing else can do. I mean, there's something about prayer that breaks down walls and really brings a a connection and a a bond to to humans. And and so these are all these these components of of prayer. And and even it's funny when you think about uh, when you pray for something and you see God move, man, you have stories to share. Going back to my experiences as leading life groups, I loved all those times that we bring up an issue of prayer. Families that I remember a young couple, um, they couldn't get pregnant. They, They were barren for many years. And to pray with them and to walk with them every single Sunday, praying and walking with them. And the moment they got pregnant, and the moment they had their child, it was just like this joy. We had these experiences. Why? Because we walked with this couple through their their barrenness. And and then when we saw God answer that and and give them children, it was just like this. But prayer did that. Prayer does that. And we've got to be willing to be a part of a community where our needs are being known and we're praying for one another lifting up the name of Jesus. So those are the components of community. Lastly, the consequences of community. The consequences of community are end of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily, or day by day, those who were being saved. Now this, you didn't expect this, did you? I mean, if I was writing, if I was Luke, I'd be saying, and everyone was really happy and they gave more money to the church. That's not what it says. It says when, when they were living in community, there's something about the life of the community of the church that was attractive to the world. There's something that when the people of Jesus live out the ways of Jesus together, that there is a, a part of that that the world looks at and says, I want that. I want that. And let me tell you, there, there, there are, I believe this is one of the greatest opportunities we have in our world today because of the issues of loneliness, because of the issues of isolation, that when we, as the people of Jesus, invite people to get a taste of Jesus' community, what happens is, even before they say, I want your Lord, they will say, I want this way of life. And we will start building bridges to, so that we can share with them the name of Jesus. But this is what was happening. Jesus, Jesus said, by, by your love, people will know that you're my disciples and that's exactly what they were doing. They were sharing their lives with one another. They were seeing the radical sacrifice of of Koinonia. They were seeing the meals together day by day in each other's homes. They they were seeing the the miraculous prayers being answered, and they said, I want that. I want that. Again, this is going to be one of the greatest apologetics to a lost and dying world today, that when, when the people of God are living in community like this. This is our opportunity today. There's people that that are in your neighborhood. There's people that live around you. There's people that you work with that are longing to belong. They have those questions, am I known and am I loved? And you, as an ambassador of Jesus, have the opportunity to give them just a taste of what Jesus wants to give them. Because really, Jesus is the one who answers those two questions completely and totally. But you, as his ambassador, give them a taste and saying, That's, this is what it's like to follow Jesus. Will you do this? This is the opportunity we have in our world today. So application questions, number one, and then we're done. What community have you devoted yourself to? Have you made the commitment, you know, in front of your chairs, in your seats, there's a, there are these cards in there, and you can sign up. If you are not a part of a life community yet, I would encourage you, Sign up for one. There's a little spot on that card. You can say, I want to be a part of a life community. Or you might be a part of a life community and say, you know what? I want to multiply what I've experienced out to other people. This is something that that we saw in our own life group over and over again. You know, we we would take people, we'd raise them up, and we'd send them out with a new group of people. And and it was always sad to see them go, but let me tell you something. When you experience something really good, when you experience community that is supernatural and that is, this is this, then you want other, you don't want to just keep that to yourselves. Living in community doesn't mean being a holy huddle and never letting other people experience this. It's, we need people in this church and around our community that will say, I've experienced something like this and I want to share it with someone else. And so whether you want to lead a life community or to be a part of a life community, I would encourage you to make that decision today. You know, it could be as simple as this, that you look for someone that you work with who's another believer and say, hey, let's just have lunch once a month. Talk about our faith. Talk about life. You know, do things if you're looking to for community, disrupt the patterns and the rhythms of what your life looks like. Because if you just think I'm just gonna keep living my life and community is just gonna explode out of poof out of, it's not gonna happen. You've got to make the adjustments that, that if you want this to happen. Number two, what component of community are you lacking? What component of community are you lacking? Again, you might have a good group of friends and you enjoy hanging out, but where's the teaching? Where's the transformation? Where's the true koinonia of sacrifice saying, I'm willing to sell something so that you might be blessed? Where's the sharing of meals? Where's the prayer? Again, you might have some components of this, but you don't accept a worldly substitute for what Jesus wants to give to you. What components are missing of community in your life? And then number three, who is close to you who needs to experience a Jesus type of community? Who's that person who's close to you but far from God? who needs the experience of belonging, who needs the experience of being known and being loved by someone, maybe for the first time in their life. There are so many hurting people. Remember, going back all the way to the beginning of the book, remember, beginning of the Bible, what did did God say? It is not good for man to be alone. There is a lot of lonely people out there. There's a lot of people who are struggling with loneliness. And we, as the people of Jesus can give them a taste of what it means to feel completely loved and known by our Savior. Will we do that? Will we do that? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In the midst of all of our conversation about living in community, you know, the, the application to me is pretty clear. Either you are living in community or you're not. You either need to, be, you need to make the decision to be devoted to this can make the commitment or say, "I'm no, I'm just going to keep living my own life. That's your choice. But the opportunity before you is, is to join community today. One of the other things that you might be asking yourself is, you know, Ben, you talk about living in this community, the way of Jesus, but I have a lot of questions about Jesus. I have questions about his sacrifice. I have questions about what the cross really means. And if you have questions about Jesus, what he, who he is, what he did for you, we have people out in the lobby that are our prayer team that would love to sit with you, talk with you. I'll be out there as well to answer any question you might have, spiritual question, about what it means to have faith in Jesus. You know, we talked about being vulnerable. Maybe there's something going on in your life right now that whether it's sickness, whether it's issues with your job, issues with your family, that you just need prayer with. You know, we offer our prayer team in the lobby every single week. They have the white lanyards on to say, don't leave here If you're hurting, get the help, get the encouragement, get the prayer that you need. Would you be willing to be vulnerable today and say, you know what, I need need someone to put their arm around me and pray for me. It's it's available to you if the Spirit is leading you to do that. Father, I pray as we respond now with this song, God, I pray that you would produce the kind of community in this church that we just read about in Acts 2. We know we've got a long way to go. God, we know that there are some things in our own lives that we've got to overcome. There's some some endurance we need to develop to to fight through the challenges of being known and being loved. But God, I pray that we would be a church where where the community of Jesus would be sharing the love of Jesus in a radical way. Help us, O Lord, to do this. In your precious name we pray. Amen.